Welcome to the PharmaSource podcast. Today's episode is an interview with Philip Kudzi, Director of CMO Management for Daichi Sankyo Europe. Philip has experience on both sides of the contract manufacturing table, previously running the RFQ process at Catalans before his current role where he's responsible for a network of six CMOs. In this interview, he shares how to get the best from CMOs and why he believes a more meaningful approach towards sustainability is needed. Hi, Luke. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. So you're Director of CMO Management over at Daichi Sankyo for Europe. In terms of your experience, I don't think you've got a typical experience of someone who's doing the job you're doing. So I'm quite interested to find out how you got into pharma in the first place. Uh, I got into pharma by accident, to be very honest with you. I immigrated from South Africa and worked as a project manager at the football FIFA World Cup in Cape Town. And when I came to Germany, my first job was to pack fruit and vegetables. Mm -hmm. I needed to do something. Otherwise, I think my wife would have probably thrown me out the window or something. So I applied for work and was invited to an interview at a pharma company, a CDMO, because one of the factories in England burned down. And they were looking for a project manager who could start quickly. My interview was on the Wednesday before Easter 2011. On Thursday, they offered me the job. On Saturday, I still packed fruit and vegetables. And on Tuesday, I started in the pharma industry. Wow. You know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed that I was. And how did you find that going from packing fruit and veg straight into project managing in pharma? You know, coming from a tourism background, from a project, agile project management, you make a decision, you implement it, and it is done. Mm. So I got into the pharma industry, into project management, you know, great ideas. Everybody said, oh, that's a brilliant idea. I said, let's implement it. And everybody mm-hmm. said, stop. Whoa. Did you write the change? Mm-hmm. Is it GMP compliant? Uh, you know, and... The sort of takes the wind out of your sails. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, we are in a very regulated, uh, law-driven environment. Because at the end of the day, we work with people's health. What they put into their mouth and take into their body must be such that you do not uh, add harm to them at the end of the Mm. day. So it was a very, very steep learning curve for me to get into the pharma industry. But you must have enjoyed it because you've stayed in pharma for, well, well over a decade and a half. During this time, while I was doing this uh, transfer project, some days there was a lot happening. I mean, you really worked about 14 hours and some days there was nothing happening. And I took the time to go down online and with the engineers and I crawled under machines. I crawled over them and I wanted to understand how it works from manufacturing straight through to packaging. And I love the technical bits of it. So that is what fascinated me at the end of the day, was how a complex system have very simple steps put together to bring you at the end of the day something like a a bottle of tablets, a packet Mm. with two or three or ten blisters inside. So that's what I enjoyed about it. It is fascinating. So you're at Catalunt. Yep. You moved from there to the other side of the fence where you're actually managing external vendors. I'm interested in how you found that transition from one side to the other and also what, what perspective that gives you, that sort of poacher turn gamekeeper perspective. 
let's start off with where I was at Catalan. Catalan mm. uh, Pharma Solutions in Schondorf here in Germany. I was part of what they call the commercial operations team. I was with my team responsible for receiving RFQs from originators, working through them, asking the questions as to information that we know that internal departments would need, putting it together, and then presenting it to internal departments. So the internal department would say, from analytics, OEB assessment, manufacturing, mm -hmm. packaging, development, project management, quality, all of those would sit together around the table and we would discuss the project. And they would give their input and we would do the cost calculation, write the quote, send it to the customer, and then this backwards and forwards started. Quote goes out, customer says, you got this wrong, please update. Quote goes out, the customer comes back. And once a customer said, yes, we would like to continue with you, then we would do the first bit of project management. Till mm -hmm. such time as a project manager was assigned, which could be anything from an hour to a week or two weeks, and then they would take over the project. And we would continue to support them throughout. Quote, change of scope, quote, additional work that needed to be done, contract uh, negotiations, we ass assisted our business development. You were having to coordinate then across a, a massive business like Catalan, all, pull together all of these different departments for your clients. Yeah, but only for our site in Schondorf, uh, the, because it is technology specific. The sites um, in Catalan are very specific in what they do. So I was involved only in, in the Catlin side, with some input from some of the other sites from time to time. Yes, so I coordinated the whole process across the site. So when the opportunity came to move across the table to Dati Sancho, it was an easy step mm -hmm. because I understood what needed to happen from that side. Managing a CMO or CMOs, it's a challenge because, I mean, you, you don't work with a company name. You work with people, and people mm -hmm. have different ideas and perspectives. But I found the, the going across easy. Yeah. Because, first of all, the frustrating thing for CMOs is I know how they operate. Yeah. I know when they say things, what they mean with it. Mm -hmm. All their secrets. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I wonder if you could tell us a few of those secrets in a minute. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I would still like to walk the street and not having to look over my shoulder all the time. <laughs> the one place where I found that my experience as working for a CMO came in extremely handy is in re writing requests for quotations, RFQs, mm. because I know what they require. I know what they need. So my uh, RFQ documents are substantial. Of course, they're not complete because there are, with a complex project, there's always things that one tend to forget or might not have 100% correct. So I found that my experience was there to be able to give them a, a request they were able to work with. Mm. Simple things like adding the MSDSs, suppliers of API, for instance, packaging material, giving them as much information as possible for them to make a qualified assessment to say, yes, we will quote, or no, we cannot quote. Mm -hmm. I think that made it possible for a very nice offer to come back from the CMOs, because obviously they know 
where I stand and what I I know they should do. So are there things which you've seen others doing similar roles to you, things that they don't realize about CMOs or CDMOs and how they operate, but they should? Any advice you'd give for others trying to create a better partnership with their CMOs? Partnership with a CMO is multifaceted. It is not just writing an RFQ, getting a quote, and things are done. Mm -hmm. I think one of the best uh, things that I've learned is to build a relationship, a one-to-one relationship with your counterpart, your key account manager. Mm. Know them. One of my key account managers is a fisherman. Okay. So we always joke about fishing. I'm a hunter. So Mm. he asked me how I'm doing. So we have this personal relationship. In German, you have this Z, the the formal way of speaking to somebody. In some cases, this remains because it gives you this barrier. You're my supplier. I'm your your, uh, um, person that purchased from you. Mm. But having a personal relationship with them is always good. And then honesty. Mm -hmm. Be honest. I find it very difficult to work with somebody that tells me half-truths and whole lies. Mm-hmm. Rather be honest with me. Say to me, somebody messed up and threw away a roll of your labels. Mm. It's human. Things yeah. happen. Um, there was a problem online. Not all the packets I have the label on. We have to unpack it and look for the problem. Mm-hmm. Good. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me there was a, a problem online. We're sorting it out and we will get back to you. That's a half truth. Mm-hmm. Be honest. And also, reverse, be honest with your CMOs. In other words, if you write out a, a, a um, RFQ and you get quotes back from your CMOs, be honest with them. Tell them, I do not like your hairstyle, so therefore I'm not giving you the quote, <laughs> the, the offer. Be, be honest and tell them. This is where you lie in terms of my internal cost, because this is the reference that you will use. Or if you take it away from one CMO and give it to another, give them the honest feedback. Mm. You are 15% higher, or for some other reason, you have 6 million euros in there for equipment, where the same equipment from another CMO is only 2 million euros. Look at it. There's something not right. Mm. instead of just at the end of the day saying you were too expensive. What can they do with that information? If you do share information, it must be worth the while for the CMO to understand, this is my position towards others, this is where I stand, and this is the reason why he sent it back or I did not get the job, Mm. did not land the contract. Yeah, and I'm sure that suppliers would would certainly appreciate that as well, so that they're getting constructive feedback. Absolutely. My mentor always says there's honesty and there's appropriate honesty. Mm. To be appropriately honest with your CMO is the best way forward. Tell them, this and this are the reasons why I found that your quote was not acceptable. I mentioned it to you before. You did not change it. This is the reason why you are not shortlisted or why I'm not giving you the contract. Mm. So they know in future, if it might not only be me that looks at it like that, but other originators might have the same feeling. So honesty and 
rather share too much information than too little. Yep, yep. How many CMOs are part of your network currently at Daichi Sankyo? Oh, we've reduced it significantly. Mm. We have sold off some of our legacy products. I think it's six. From your perspective then, with, with those six, but also from all the others that you're in touch with on a day-to-day basis, what would you say, going into 2024, the current state is of the contract manufacturing industry? I imagine you see, you see a wide cross-section of, of CMOs. Interested to hear what your perspective is around the challenges that, that you're facing operating a network of CMOs, and also the, maybe the challenges that the contract manufacturers themselves are struggling with at the moment? The industry is healthy. Medication and types of medication coming out is every day new ones coming out. And originators find it difficult to manufacture it themselves. The very large CMO uh, originators, GSK, Pfizer, Novartis, and those, they are also starting to outsource some of their products Mm. simply because it is an an easier thing to manage one CMO that does 20 or 40 or 100 products for you or SKUs than you having to manage 100 SKUs, which consist each of four different components, plus tablets, plus, 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 plus. So personally, I see a lot of scope for CMOs in future from big pharma, from the the big players within the field. Mm. We, for instance, keep in-house the very expensive things, things where a vial would cost you in manufacturing cost a thousand euros. So we try and keep that in-house because mm-hmm. you can imagine if two vials fall down, it, it's a lot of money that goes by the wayside. Mm. But bigger, high-volume products we are outsourcing at the moment. We're bringing in new product and outsourcing some of our more uh, stable products. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of CMOs, I find at the moment that working with smaller CMOs is for me on a personal level more rewarding. Okay. Because I get to know my key account manager. The key account manager might have one person above them going to the CEO. So, I get to meet the CEO. Might even get on a personal relationship with them. Where the very big uh, CMOs, the Catalans, the Aenovas, the Lonzas, and those guys, you have so many levels that you somehow feel a number. Mm. And this is lacking to me working with large CMOs. It's this personal relationship. We're all human, we all want to be liked. We all want to tell somebody a joke or hear a joke. Mm-hmm. If you look at the very large ones, you somehow stuck as a number somewhere. Yeah. And and this to me, I find frustrating. So I am very happy to work with smaller CMOs. First of all, they're far more agile. They make a decision, put it into place. You know, I told you at the beginning, I wanted to get things done, tuck, tuck. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I find from smaller CMOs. They're far far more pragmatic in their approach. They don't need seven levels above them to make a decision. The decision is made, get the okay from somebody, and finished. Mm. Or you might even have that the CEO has his finger in there and says, what's the problem? Get the money, do it. 
there are, are lots and lots of CMOs in Europe, big ones, small ones, very good ones, and very poor ones. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, politics plays a, a heavy role with where CMOs capital comes from. So in some cases, it, it's rather difficult to work with a CMO because of politics. But in general, the CMO industry is healthy. The CMO industry will grow as long as they are agile and able to keep up with the trends within the industry. Mm. Interested to know what the different types of relationships which you might have with a CMO might be. I mean, some, I suppose, are fairly transactional relationships. Are others almost more going into joint venture or sort of partnership kind of territory? I mean, how, how do you tend to break that down or segment it? CMO, by definition, is a contract manufacturing organization, somebody that does something for you because they get paid. Full mm-hmm. stop. A Catalan, you pay them to make the tablet, package it, put it on stability and release it. That is the relationship. So it is a transaction. For the other ones, like you say, where you have a relationship, you go into joint ventures with them, very often rather becomes, instead of a CMO, a business partner. Mm. So there is a, a benefit for both of you If you succeed, um, you might purchase tablets from some from a CMO that you or now your business partner, which you would then package, put onto stability, and you have certain markets where you actually distribute it to. We also have that Mm. some of the stuff that we manufacture, where we sell the bulk to a, a third party or second party, whatever you want to call, who then markets it in certain area. And the advantage of that is with over 200 countries worldwide, in Europe, we have EMEA that regulates everything for us. In North America, you have um, the the FDA that does mostly America. In South America, you have Anvisa, which just does Brazil. So the moment that you get into these markets, you have to work with each of these regulatory bodies. And this is the nice thing. If you have a business partner who already has a foot in there and you then join forces to uh, get into a market, South America is a good uh, example. China's another one or the Asian markets. So, yes, I have very, very transactional um, uh, CMOs where it is a PO place, product manufactured and packaged, d- distributed, mm-hmm. finished. And then you have this business relationship where if I can increase my market share, it means that we both win at the end of the day. You mentioned the regulatory side of working with CMOs in different countries. And I'm and I'm based, maybe unfortunately, in London. So interested to know since Brexit, what that's been like dealing with CMOs who are based where I am in the UK. Would you even work with a UK-based CMO at the moment? Saying no, I wouldn't. Never is a long time. Mm. But at the moment, I tend to avoid it. Because if I work with an Indian or a Chinese CMO, I know that once I import the product back into Europe, I have to fully analyze it. Mm -hmm. 
the question is, will the mutual recognition agreement between the UK and uh, EMEA remain in place? If I now suddenly outsource 100 million tablet manufacturing and packaging to a CMO in, in UK, how long before this decision comes back to haunt me because the mutual recognition agreement upset somebody and they threw it out the window and now suddenly I have to reanalyze all of that. So mm. I try and avoid avoid it. Um, that said and done, England is actually nicely placed in terms of shipping routes and things, big airports, getting products out. It might be worth my while to actually investigate with my regulatory team Maybe just a couple of phone calls and asking them what are their opinion regarding working with CMOs in the UK. Unfortunately, as a British radio host, I like to listen to James O'Brien. He always says that the UK is the only country in history to have imposed economic sanctions on itself. <laughs> a good one. I like it. So sustainability is a very hot topic around CMOs and around you know, pharma companies themselves. Interested to get your take on that. I mean, how important do you think sustainability is for you as you're building your CMO network? And do you think as an industry, we're thinking about it the right way at the moment? Sustainability is a big, big, big word. Let's start off with a question. How important is sustainability to me when looking at the CMO? The first of all is how, how will I measure or evaluate their sustainability? Do they have solar panels on the roof? Good. What does it mean to me? What percentage of the electricity is generated by that? What do they do if it looks like out here where we live at the moment where it's been cloudy and snowing and these uh, solar panels are full of snow? Do mm. they have a way to clean it to continue generating the electricity or are they forced to go to alternative sources. Do they use e-cars, electric cars? Mm. We can debate about how good electric cars are if it's worth our while. I have my personal opinion about that. But in any case, I drive one. I have a company car that is electric. It's nice to drive. It's quiet. Too quiet sometimes if you're a pedestrian. As a pedestrian, it is. it is. It can be rather dangerous. But to give you an idea what we are doing, which I quite enjoy as part of sustainability, our canteen, we have a canteen at work, so all employees can get some lunch there, breakfast, and so on. They actually purchase things from local farmers, mm. except one thing, and I'm still disgusted about that. Our plant is in Pfaffenhofen. It is in the valley where they produce the hops to make beer. But do mm -hmm. you think they will give us a beer in the canteen? No, <laughs> sir. I'm very upset about that. But they do purchase things like asparagus and those type of things from local suppliers. So you support, bring the money back into the community. Mm -hmm. That type of thing I enjoy. We have a plant nearby that actually uses the offcuts from the wood industry to generate heat, steam, electricity. And we make use of that. So all this offcuts, because in uh, the timber industry and lumber is quite big is around that area. So there's always some offcuts, bark, branches, and this. And they use it to generate the heat, 
and uh, electricity. So our buildings, everything is heated with with either pellets that we burn ourselves or from this uh, company that delivers the heat to us. Hmm. It's uh, delivering heat to us like the truck stops by and pumps off some <laughs> heat, but it uh, it is actually simpler than that. So, And then we have a very big solar park right uh, at the factory. It actually delivers about 40% of our electricity uh, also to charge electric cars. So hmm. we don't have to get it from elsewhere. And obviously the electricity is delivered during daylight. And what yep. is nice here in Europe, north, it's the days and summer nice and long. So we have the ability to do things like that. And then there's a bit more to sustainability than just what I've mentioned, what our companies do. Personally, what I would like to see in terms of sustainability, we have a massive problem with getting employees. I'm not hmm. talking about scientists. I'm not talking about senior people. You buy those. They move there. They live there. It's the people pushing the buttons. And to me, a part of sustainability would be to offer kindergarten for those people. Hmm. You know, single mothers, single fathers, very often have a problem. What do they do if a child is sick? Now, can you imagine if you have a kindergarten with a sick room where a child with a minor cold or so can be cared for, mm -hmm. sponsored or maybe not even sponsored, but supplied by the company where I as a parent can pay for it. To me, that becomes part of sustainability. I can help my employee to sustain their income. Mm -hmm. So, and their contribution. You can imagine if 20 people are sick, you're going to have a line or two standing. They might not be sick, but their children are. That to me becomes sustainable so, or a big part of sustainability. Offering housing. Let's, for instance, say that we invest 20 million, build a nice big apartment block, and we offer this to our employees at a going rate so that you get your return on your investment. But it feels to yeah. employees that they are important. They, they say, a way for me to find a place to live in order for me to move there, especially your normal workers, as make it part of the contract. So that type of sustainability, you know, I'm a dreamer. I, I like to think outside of the box, you know, implement, tuck, tuck. Mm -hmm. but it is not always, my boss would say, yes, it is sustainable, but it is not our business. Our core business is manufacturing and packaging of pharmaceuticals. Having a, a, contra, a, a, a apartment block is not our core business. It's not our business, mm -hmm. but somebody else may, might think of it. So a lot of being done for sustainability. We, we do small wins that actually brings a lot. One of my colleagues, um, one of the CMOs wanted the buckets of tablets delivered to them, which are packaged at 17 kilograms which means that the normal person, woman, can pick it up and empty it. She got them so far as to buy equipment to take a heavier bucket and lift it. Mm. The money that she was able to save the company was less, uh, 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 sorry, almost double what they had to invest to get this uh, 
equipment to empty the buckets. You know, yeah. small things like that. Mm -hmm. We ha um, used to That's get product pack packaged at a, a site close to the French border. Now, Pfaffenhofen is north of Munich, so it is way towards the east. The product was packed there, shipped back to us so that we could release it and then ship right past the front door of that company to go to Spain or to mm. Italy. So we've changed the process by releasing the product while it is there and shipping it directly. We save 800 kilometers mm. per truck. We're looking at about 200,000 euros a year that we save. So people must stop thinking sustainability is AI solar panels on the roof, electric cars, buying food from the, the local producers. Simply look at what you do. Isn't mm. there an easier way to do it? You know, kiss, keep it short and sweet. Keep it short and simple. Keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple, stupid. I like that one too. That is very yeah. true. Yeah. Finally then, Philip, just interested to know about, on a, I guess, on a more personal level, what does a day in the life look like for you? I imagine you managed to squeeze some bird watching in at some point. <laughs> this, in this weather, no. No, mm -hmm. no. There's no bird watching. But talking about that, I had a, in summer, I had a telecon with somebody sitting in the office. And a big flock of birds flew by. And I said to this guy, two minutes, I have to yeah. see what this is. So I jumped on. <laughs> Um, my a day in my life depends on which projects I'm busy with. Mm -hmm. Right now, I'm busy with an RFQ that is a deadline at the end of the month. Second round ready for February. So I'm preparing these documents. But I tend to have at least once, I wouldn't say a day, but a regular call with my CMOs. Mm -hmm. Because just quickly, how things going? Everything okay? Or they would inform me. You asked about this, this is the status, problem solving, mm -hmm. things that are late. Why is it late? What can we do to do that? Or product that arrives where there's damage on the pallet. What is the damage? What is the cost? Can we find the root cause for that in order to, to sort it out? CMO changed the address. They used to be 14 to 16 certain street. They just changed it to 14. Mm. Okay. Everybody would think, yeah, and change control. What other risks? Is there any documents that need to change? Do we need to update our regulatory? So things like that. Um, but sometimes just look at what is happening. And then there's always small projects going. We, we package one of our products in bottles just for Germany. Not many, about 4,000 bottles a year. But we do not have a bottle line, so we do it manually. Now, we want to launch bottles in another territory, but it is 30,000 bottles. So now, changing, uh, uh, going to CMO for the bottle supply. Bottles used to come from the US. Why do we ship air across the ocean? Sustainability mm. again. Why not use a local supplier? You know, me, quick, tuck, tuck. No, no. Have you done the change? What are the differences in specifications between this and this whole thing start dragging out? Yeah. But at some stage, one must realize that the people are doing their work and there's the questions for a reason. So back to my day, it is either looking at solving problems, 
sometimes I take a hammer to somebody's fingers because they are really not doing their thing, <laughs> right? Gathering information uh, for a request that's going out. Sometimes price negotiations, I get a contract with updated price. Question is why is the price going up? What is the reason behind it? Is it really this much looking internally? And then, of course, there's the, the standard meeting saying, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir. There's no standard day, but in general, this is what my day would look like. Thank you for your time, Philip. Been a pleasure speaking to you today. It's just been wonderful. Thank you for taking the time and having a chat to me. It's really awesome. Before we go, I'd like to mention CDMO Live, a new event from us at Pharmasource. CDMO Live is a new online event designed to connect you with the latest insights and innovative partners in contract manufacturing. We've put together an in-depth program of expert talks and roundtables to help you work with CDMOs to accelerate drug development, decarbonize scope through emissions, and optimize contract manufacturing networks. To find out more, head to pharmasource.global/cdmolive. Thank you for listening to today's episode.